welcome to the Unfair Podcast. Hello and welcome to the second part of the mini-series of the Retail Government Bond Market in Europe by Onfif Sovereign Debt Institute. I'm uh, Bernd Kappai, Head of Content uh, at Onfif Sovereign Debt Institute. And today in this podcast, I'm joined by Zoltan Karali, Chief Executive of the AKK, Hungary's Debt Management Office, Stefan Nanu, Head of Public Debt Management and State Treasury at the Ministry of Finance, Romania, uh, and Murray Bacata, Head of Retail Debt at Ireland's National Treasury Management Agency. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for all of you for joining uh, this podcast today. Uh, great to have you here. Let, let's start with uh, by getting an overview of each of your uh, retail bond programs and how that sort of evolved in recent times. Perhaps we'll start with you, Murray. Uh, give an overview of your retail program and uh, and how that's become a more important part of your strategy. Yeah, thank you very much. And thank you for the invitation to be here today. So retail debt in Ireland is operated under the brand name State Savings. Uh, we've been in operation for a long time, uh, about 160 years, actually. Uh, and uh, we've seen the size of the retail debt program uh, increase substantially, particularly over the last 15 years. So we've grown from uh, savings of about 7 billion euro in 2007 to 25 billion euro in uh, uh, retail debt today. Uh, to give that some context, uh, it's about 10% of growth debt, about 15% of the savings market in Ireland, and we have about 4 million customers. And again, if you consider the Irish population has about 5 million people, a substantial percentage of the population holds at least one of our products. So in terms of development, we continue to develop both from a technological point of view, and we're seeing that that's an important factor as we continue to enhance our retail debt program for uh, citizens throughout Ireland and also uh, an increasing focus around our brand and marketing uh, into the future as well. And uh, same question to you, Stefan, uh, you know, for Romania, is this, is this uh, becoming more important part of your strategy and what sort of products do you offer to, uh, to retail investors? Yes, that's right. It's becoming uh, an important part of the, of the, the, let's say, domestic funding uh we started i would say i think initially it was uh, around 2015 when we launched the first let's say pilot bond but then you know we stopped in a way and we relaunched it really like in uh 2019 2020 and uh, now uh we we could say that uh, you know around uh, 4 to 5 billion euros uh, yearly uh we could uh, basically rely on on this on this segment uh we have two two programs and uh, they they became popular of course it matters a lot also on uh, what kind of market context is but uh, uh i would say that uh, there is even uh, more even further more potential to expand into this uh segment of the investors thanks Stefan. we'll go into that uh the potential for, for the retail market to grow further um shortly uh, and and zoltan also same question to you about your retail program obviously all the uh hungary has the largest is the largest uh retail issue as a proportion of total issuance uh, and, and also the second part of that question is is something that murray mentioned in terms of technology you can go into that in terms of how that's becoming uh more of a focus for you as well in terms of um reaching out to your retail investors Sure. Uh, thank you. And uh, uh, hello to everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. 
Um, so our retail program in numbers, um, so total retail debt um, owned by households exceeds 25 billion euros in our case. That is over 20% of central government debt. Um, and, um, and if you look at this program relative to um, GDP, then that is close to 13%. Obviously, hungry debt to GDP ratio is above 70%. So this is how the number uh, comes out at. The number of customers, Hungary has 9.7 million population. The number of customers in total is uh, above 1.2 million. Um, and that is um, roughly 17% of tech taxpayers and uh, close to 20% of the number of households. With respect to uh, the type of instruments, so we sell inflation linkers. That is obviously the, the key product at the moment. Um, and we also sell um, floating rate instruments linked to T-bill auctions. So the inflation linkers are long-term, so 10 years, you know, seven, 10 years product. The TB linker is a three-year product and there are fixed rate uh, bonds um, for one-year maturity, which is almost like a T-bill and also with five-year maturity. With respect to technology, so our distribution is through uh, commercial banks as well as the state treasury. Um, the state treasury has roughly 55% digital penetration to, through a mobile app or an internet banking type solution that we actually invest quite a lot into to develop. Um, the banks have a lower digital penetration of around you know 20-25%. Uh, we keep uh, pushing them to actually invest into that. Um, but I think you know for us the, the direction of travel is clearly you know more digital, more sort of like user-friendly. Uh, great user experience solutions that are effective um, and sort of, you know, we would like to attract the younger population, which obviously is still missing, um, you know, from our client base because of obviously the life, life cycle, you know, related aspects, but, uh, but we are focusing, um, you know, on, on that, on that segment. Uh, just that, that's a good point actually you mentioned about the, the use technology to sort of uh, broaden that investor base of retail because it is quite a mature uh, investor base in terms of age isn't it the retail uh, yes. retail debt uh, investor demand so what, what is that um, what is the average age of your uh, retail investor base so the average age is 55 years um, and there is a reason for it and that reason is clearly that you know this is the generation you know so somewhere between 40 to 65 call it you know that you know sort of work started to work or or worked you know already in the capitalist you know system because you know from uh, 1989 there is a capitalist system before there was socialism and clearly savings were not dominant in that period and you know this this sort of age group um, is the one who started to work in this new market economy and and then after obviously uh, some hiccups including the 2008 uh, crisis you know they uh, they accumulated savings um, but obviously you know from the long term sustainability point of view of this program we need to open for the younger people um, clearly we don't expect them to fund a lot because their disposable income and their life you know sort of uh, um, 
objectives are different, but you know, by lowering the entry point and the barrier of entry to like basically the minimums um, and offering a free of charge mobile app through the state treasury um, and eliminating any transactional levies and taxes if they bank with the state treasury with respect to government bonds and providing a very easy to understand mobile app. You know, we hope that that will, you know, attract some of these younger people. Okay, thank you. And, and Stefan, um, how are you using um, technology, looking at technology to sort of uh, broaden your reach um, for retail investors, particularly, uh, as we mentioned, the, the younger the younger group of investors? Yeah, I think uh, I didn't go into details. So we have basically two programs. One is uh, uh, sold through the local treasuries, to the state treasury and to the postal office. And that's more, I would say, uh, it's more related to the, the, the population. Zoltan was talking about like uh, 50 to 60, 65 years. Uh, same uh, reason in Romania. So, and also the, that's the part of the population that uh, likes to invest more in in uh, in bonds. And you know, they they are used to go to the local treasuries offices and so on and so forth. So, on that one, basically, we are using. Uh, there is also the possibility uh, through the uh, local uh, treasuries. There is also the, the the online possibility of subscribing. There are also through the postal office. I would say it's more like uh, paper based, so you cannot do it online. Um, but this, I would say, penetrates more uh, into the across the country. Uh, this this product. While the other product, which is sold through a syndicate of banks uh, that are uh, all uh, uh, players in the uh, Bucharest Stock Exchange, uh, those bonds are listed on the Bucharest Stock Exchange and they could be traded through the stock exchange mechanism. So uh, all these banks are basically committing to provide prices to the, to the retail bond holders. Uh, and uh, that's more popular towards, uh, let's say, more educated uh, population, part of population, including here youngers. Uh, but of course, it has a lower uh, diversification uh, across, uh, let's say, the number of the uh, of the holders, uh, since uh, of course there are not that many that many people with accounts, uh, let's say, with the brokers or accounts uh, with the, with the stock exchange. So uh, on that one, uh, of course, it's it's much easier to, to maneuver. So you could use the uh, online and digital application of the banks and you could basically buy and sell the bonds. Uh, those are issued uh, quarterly, not uh, not monthly. So um, you you cannot find them like uh, in the primary market every day. While for the for the other program, which is sold through the postal office and uh, the treasury, is basically every day we are we are sending that product. It's just that we are resetting the parameters every month through a prospectus which is published, and basically this reset depends on how the uh, interbanking government yields are uh, are evolving. So for both products, actually, we are uh, in principle we are paying very low premiums versus the interbanking yield curve. 
So we have, according to the legislation, possibility to go uh, up to 100 basis points, but we are using it only to pay the maturity premium, I would say, for some bonds. And um, definitely, because we are selling also uh, local currency and euro, for euro, definitely, we do not pay any premium. For the local currency, longer maturities, we could we we are paying small premiums. Uh, and just lately, we introduced a product uh, that you know to create more attractivity attractivity across uh, let's say different segments of population. We we made a partnership with a. Uh, broadcasting station which has a strong campaign uh, for the blood donation and basically we put one of the trench under one of the maturity trench under the each of the quarterly bond issue we have uh, through Fidelis uh, program which is the one uh, sold through the banks we uh, that that's a specific trench for the blood uh, donors and it has uh, the basically for that one, the premium goes to the maximum we could pay, so 100 basis points. So that's, I would say, created a lot of uh, emulation, a lot of, uh, let's say, solidarity. And uh, it's not that we are selling volume wise too much through that, but it captured a lot of attention, generally speaking, on the, on the government, on the retail government bonds. Okay, thanks, Stefan. That, that's really interesting. And, and and Murray, talking about diversifying investor base, um, give us a picture of what demand's been like for your for your retail products. And you know, what what, what do you think about you know foreign demand in, in retail products as well? Is that something that you're um, seeing and, and looking to tap into as well? Yeah, um, similar to comments um, from uh, my previous two colleagues, the we are definitely tilted towards an older demographic as well. So the majority of our customers would be uh, over 60 years of age. Uh, our product range, we have three core products. The first is fixed term products uh, with three, five and 10 year durations. Uh, we have about 15 billion euro in savings in those. Then we have prize bonds where we award prizes to customers every week. Uh, we have 5 billion in savings in prize bonds and finally 5 billion in savings in the post office savings bank. Uh, the fixed term products in particular, we see an older demographic. Uh, prize bonds, though, it does attract uh, a younger demographic, albeit the uh, value of savings from that younger demographic is relatively low. Uh, in terms of what we're doing to broaden out that investor base, uh, really, the, we have a threefold uh, strategy or attack uh, to, to broaden out the investor base and attract younger customers. The first is to continue to enhance our digital platform. Uh, and that's not just for younger customers, but we see post the COVID pandemic that people's ability to interact digitally uh, has greatly enhanced and indeed their expectations have uh, greatly increased as well as to what should be available digitally. So we'll continue to develop uh, our digital platform. Secondly, we're looking at other products that would suit a younger demographic. For example, our fixed term products are suited to people who have a lump sum to save uh, and not all young people have a lump sum. So we're looking at introducing other products such as 
a regular saver product that would uh, be more uh, uh, attractive to younger customers as they would need a smaller level of savings. And also they could build up a track record of savings over time. It may help them in the future if they are ever going to get, for example, a mortgage uh, from a bank. Uh, and our final uh, 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 way of attracting younger customers is through the brand. And we're currently going through a big uh, brand relaunch of state savings. Uh, and the target would be obviously to attract both our existing customer base, but also uh, to build up our brand awareness and identity among that uh, younger cohort. Similar to comments um, previously, the younger cohort will never have the uh, value of savings that the older demographic have built up through their, uh, their lifetime. But it is important to attract them in because they will be uh, the customers who will have those lump sums uh, in the decades to come. Okay, thank you, Maria. And just sticking with you, I mean, talking about the benefits of retail bond, we've talked about uh, the benefits for uh, for the savers, but also for the DMOs. I mean, just going to some of those. I mean, uh, one thing that's often mentioned is is sort of filling the gap by the ECB, and um, I suppose it gives leverage on you in terms of not relying so much on institutional investors. I guess it's quite cost effective as well. Um, yeah, so just maybe go through a few of those in terms of the benefits and which ones are more important or strategic for you as a, as a DMO. Yes, absolutely. For, firstly, it's a source of diversified funding, uh, which is a clear benefit uh, uh, for us as a DMO. Uh, not only is it diversified in that it's retail versus institutional, but also within retail, you have a body of 4 million customers. So uh, that diversification is, is spread across the country and across uh, age groups and so on. In addition to being diversified, it's also uh, Ireland's largest source of domestic funding. Uh, so and again, this is a very important uh, point and a very important reason to have a retail program for us uh, in the first place. Finally, uh, as well as being cost effective, we find the funding is very sticky. Uh, for example, our uh, fixed term bonds uh, would typically have a 70 to 80 percent reinvestment rate. So when the money comes in uh, to the retail debt program and customers uh, get used to the benefits, again, as uh, some of the, the previous discussion focused on, no fees, no charges. Uh, also, with a lot of our products, there's no tax uh, for all of our fixed rate uh, and prize bond customers. And so customers tend to, to stick with us uh, for the long term. And obviously, that's a benefit to the customer, but also a benefit to the DMO uh, long-term diversified and domestic funding are the, the core pillars to retail debt for us. Yeah, that's an interesting point. We'll, we'll go into that because there's a, there's an interesting debate about whether retail uh, demand is structural opportunistic, and you, you sort of touched on that there. But um, Zoltan, um, uh, same question to you, really. I mean, how, uh, and, and touching on what Murray was saying, I mean, how cost-effective is, uh, is retail issuance? I mean, does it, how much does it sort of reduce your borrowing cost by in the long term, having a retail strategy as well? So I think the the logic is pretty much the same um, as as Ireland's because you know we also look at it as a diversification tool. Uh, I mean, obviously, the difference is that you know we had um, probably ten years to build it up, which meant that at the very beginning we actually had to pay up, and and that was sort of like a deliberate economic policy decision to ensure that people 
saving the domestic currency. Um, they don't, you know, unnecessarily spend it or they don't repatriate, you know, their savings abroad. Um, you know, in our case, where obviously we haven't yet introduced the euro as an EU member, um, it was important that 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 domestic savings stay within, you know, the country, but stay most importantly in the domestic currency that is Hungarian foreign. So I think we have we have run studies. Uh, we haven't yet updated them for the um, recent couple of years, but two years. But let's say in 2021, we found that had we not had a retail program, and uh, in that case, we you know should have issued as much in the institutional market, a domestic half, um, then we certainly would have you know, paid more. So the, the study that we also published, you know, sort of demonstrates that the retail program, even if we sort of deliberately overpaid, call it one and a half percent above market, you know, sort of worked and it came out on par uh, with whatever we could have achieved in the absence of a retail strategy. Obviously, it was a, like a bit of a, a binary analysis, um, as always. Um, but um, but we, we believe that it is money well spent. The other thing is that is very important, as Murray said, retail for us is 100% domestic or 99.9% .9 domestic because obviously you can't, you know, sort of like exclude foreign investors to purchase, um, but it is a domestic currency program. And as a, as a result, it's 100% domestic. If we were to be forced to issue only domestic institutional market, all as being equal, then, you know, there is certainly a foreign participation in it. And then foreign participation has, you know, a lot more correlation to, let's say, the, the exchange rate than, you know, the retail, um, the retail investor base who dominantly earns, saves, spends in the domestic currency. Whereas obviously, if you've got like 20, 30 percent of foreign participation in a in a in an institutional bond market, then clearly the drivers are very different from an FX risk, um, you know, point of view. Okay, thank you. That, that's really interesting in terms of the uh, some of these studies analysis that you've been seeing in, in your in your retail program. Uh, and Stefan, I mean, uh, have you been seeing the sort of similar benefits from your uh, retail issue in terms of um, it being cost effective? And have you been also been uh, paying up as well to offer a uh, competitive level for your investors. Yes, I think I mean uh, there are we have the same points. Diversification is key. Uh, so and also uh, basically zero, almost zero correlation with the volatility of the financial market. So there are no links uh, of the uh, let's say. Um, the whole, let's say, the buyer's behavior with what's going on in the market. So it, it, it becomes kind of a custom to go, you know, and to, you know, uh, to buy when you, you, when you have savings. And of course, when we have the redemptions, we see, uh, as it was mentioned, uh, we see large parts of the redemptions being reinvested. Uh, so we do in such a way, we organize, um, basically uh, the bond issuance and the subscription periods uh, to basically overlap with the redemptions 
and that provides opportunity to the to the holders to invest and we have newcomers or let's say same commerce with more more say, savings there is also the tax benefit which is important and sometimes for example i will give you uh, the example of last year because people are comparing basically the yields for the retail bonds with the deposit rates uh sometimes the banks are very i would say uh, very sticky to change their passive rates so you could end up basically with a pretty big spread between our yields although those are market yields and the the deposit rates and because of that of course there is a lot of attractive attractiveness you know in in our uh, retail bonds plus the, the tax benefits so without paying premium that's still very attractive for for uh, let's say um, uh, anyone who wants to invest in these uh, retail bonds um so uh, this this diversification into a segment of investors that has a different behavior than the institutional investors is very uh, is benefiting i would say Okay, thanks, Stefan. And and uh, Murray, come come back to you. Um, I, I mentioned this earlier about uh, you know the retail demand being structural, opportunistic, and this is something that um, we hear a lot from DMOs that don't have dedicated retail programs like yourselves. They they say that it's uh, it's hard to determine uh, to determine that, and you know obviously if it is opportunistic, it can obviously significantly increase refinancing risks. But um, you you've mentioned that you'll see you you see a lot of reinvestment, so. What, what would be your sort of response to DMOs that are, I guess, a bit hesitant to um, create retail-specific products, uh, you know, because they, they're they not sure about the nature of the demand? Yeah, I mean, we've been in retail a long, long time. Um, prize bonds were introduced over 60 years ago. Saving certs, it's the 100-year anniversary this year. So certainly for Ireland, um, it's something, it's an, always been an important part of funding. And we believe it'll uh, continue to be. I think the pricing points that you raised earlier is an interesting one. You're always trying to get the right level between uh, pricing in the bond market, but also uh, banks pricing in the savings market. Remember only three or four years ago, um, we were in an, in an environment where bond yields were uh, negative uh, and we were still offering a positive return uh, for retail customers as we had to look through that over the medium to long term. Uh, but then again, now that bond yields have moved, uh, uh, we've started to move our retail pricing uh, as well. So we increased uh, our interest rates on our retail uh, savings products uh, twice this year. And that was the first increase in retail rates for over 16 years. Okay, thanks, Marianne. And uh, Zoltan as well, that, that same question about the you know, the structural versus opportunistic nature of retail demand. I mean, what would be your sort of uh, advice or response to DMOs that are, you know, that are quite, you know, that say it's quite hard to distinguish that and that's why they don't offer uh, retail specific products? Um, so look, I think, I mean, in our case after, especially after 2008, um, so 2008, Hungary was, you know, um, relatively heavily, uh, you know, hit as a, as a country, as an economy, because, Savings were low, people were in leverage, you know, they had foreign currency borrowings um, and the foreign uh, component of funding the government <clears throat> against the same level of government debt to GDP, so 70 <clears throat> and change 
It was like two thirds. So we, we, we saw that this is not a strategy to follow. And the government, um, you know, who took office in 2010 um, was very clear on the direction of travel, which was reduce the foreign participation. Today, foreign participation is a slightly higher than one-third. So it's two-thirds domestic now. Um, and the retail program was a very important element in that, given that obviously that is, you know, 20% of our debt fully in, in, in our hands and, 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 you know, in domestic hands. And um, I think, you know, we had no choice but to be systematic about this. And we had no choice to make it a policy agenda. Um, and the policy agenda was to ensure people safe, because clearly, you know, the 2008 crisis was a, a you know, a levered or leveraged spending, you know, sort of crisis. Because you know, all those, you know, those were mortgages in Swiss francs, you know, leases in Swiss francs, even personal loans in some cases. So you know, clearly you know, that had to stop and that had to sort of like uh, put back in order and 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 retail program was very important. So, you know, opportunistic versus systematic. So, uh, you know, given that we have grown quite a lot in a, in a relatively short time period, you know, now we also don't have a choice but to look at it systematically and look at it in a, in a very, you know, sort of uh, rigorous uh, mathematical way. Um, trying to calibrate demand and 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 we also changed the strategy because before we had nominal strategy that we wanted a certain amount of retail savings and I think it's much more like market share driven and market share driven you know strategy means that we want to maintain a certain market share and 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 that is actually um, you know we have 13 percent of the gross financial assets of households. So that is our market share against the, the stock. And we roughly target somewhere between one fourth to one third of annual savings of households. So that's kind of our you know, approach and, and, and we price the products against that objective and we sort of man, measure and sort of uh, look back and analyze and, and, and adjust. Um, you know, for us, opportunistic is not an option and it has never been you know i, I understand you know if, if if people want to try because you know clearly if you have an established institutional market you are a large issue large country eurozone country euro is a reserve currency it's not that easy um you know to 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 to, to sort of make that call for that management of the okay i will pay up because obviously in, in normal circumstances that managers are, are, are looked at, you know, in a way that they have to manage the debt at, at the least, you know, cost. Um, but for us, it wasn't a debt manager's call. It was an economic policy call. So it happened much higher than the debt management agency. And I think that is needed, you know, because obviously that manager on its own or on her or on his own will never make that call. If, if they have, especially if they have a functioning um, institutional market. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. It's a strategic program for, for DMOs that are you know, bought from higher up and also, you know, mentioned an important point there about being a, a policy tool as well to encourage uh, households and individuals to save. And uh, Stefan, is that is that something that you echo as well, it being a sort of, you know, not just a funding tool, a mechanism, obviously it can reduce your borrowing costs as we've discussed in this uh, podcast, but also a policy tool as well for DMOs to, that they can use. 
Yeah, I think uh, we we have the same uh, the same uh, let's say arguments behind. So we also we are not opportunistic. So we see it uh, as a let's say uh, as a component as an instrument that you know is for diversification. That's uh, also a very good instrument, alternative uh, saving alternative for the population. <clears throat> And but we are also paying attention because there could be, for example, collateral damage. So we are also paying attention to tensions that could raise on some asset managers, for example. So we had, for example, complaints at some point from the mutual funds or from other asset managers that you know for them uh, it's you know in some market context it's hard to compete and they see exits uh, from from their funds uh, coming then you know those those investments and savings coming to to the retail bond so we also don't want to do too much harm to other market segments since uh, Romania has anyway a low financial intermediation uh, you know if you look uh, on a comparative basis uh, with EU countries so um that's why we do not have specific targets i would say it's more like uh, we 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 want basically to diversify to the investor base but in in the least harm, harmful way for the other let's say market participants uh but for example that's why if we see for example the current context with the loan to deposit ratio pretty low i would say with the structural liquidity so this is really a situation in which you know uh, there is no harm. So it's clear there is a lot of liquidity that's not used by the system. Uh, and if we are selling these bonds, uh, actually, we it's a win-win for for everybody. But there could be you know there could be market context in which you could do some harm to some of the asset managers. So. Uh, that's why you know we are very sensitive when it comes to the premiums we pay. So we want we I mean in those market contexts, of course, we do not pay premiums, for example. Um, so uh, we we refrain and we just want to preserve the instrument, but uh, trying to avoid collateral damage. Okay, thanks, Stefan. That's good. That's a good way to sort of. Uh, come to my final point, which is to sort of look at, uh, I guess, the outlook, at your thoughts on how you see this market evolving, but I guess some of the challenges as well that you've touched on. And I suppose when uh, rates stop rising and go down as well, how that will impact uh, retail demand. So I guess, Murray, your, your sort of take on uh, the outlook for this market and, and some of the challenges that you, you can see coming as well. Yeah. Um, to start, I'd echo the comments made already that uh, in Ireland, this isn't opportunistic. Uh, it's absolutely about the long term and there's both opportunities and challenges over the long term for retail debt. In terms of targets and, and going forward, we set ourselves the KPI that would be between 5 and 15% of gross debt. But similar to uh, Zoldan's comments, uh, we also look at the percentage of the savings market and we're currently about 15% of the savings market. And that's something that we uh, pay a lot of attention to uh, into the future as well. Uh, I think the, the cost effectiveness uh, and the diversification uh, benefits are key. But on the other side, 
supporting citizens and giving them uh, somewhere to save is uh, important for for all of us as well. Uh, once we can get the product range and the digital offering correct, uh, we have seen looking at challenges. It hasn't all been one way traffic in terms of people entering uh, the retail debt uh, market. We have seen some countries exit the retail debt market. Uh, indeed, every year uh, I meet at a conference some of uh, Zoltan's colleagues and a number of other retail debt providers uh, where we compare some of the challenges that we have uh, and definitely the ability to adapt in terms of technology and also in terms of product range is very important because now more than ever, the financial services environment is changing. We see new entrants from uh, digital only uh, players. And I think if we're to target in particular those younger customers of the future, we have to continue to evolve, not just the product offering, but the way we deliver our services as well. Yeah, thanks, Marianne. And Zoltan, coming to you as well, uh, um, in terms of the, the challenges and how you see this market going, and I guess, you know, Giacomo Murray's comments about the, the ability to adapt and uh, to evolve your product offering, is that something that's quite important for you? Yeah, 100%. So I, I fully echo everything Marie has said um, on, on that. I think, you know, for us, a bit more bespoke challenges that, you know, Hungary, um, you know, had the highest inflation rate in Europe um, and had the highest central bank rate in Europe. And the central bank had to obviously uh, raise rates to stop the weakening of the currency. And then when you start competing with the central bank, it's funny. <laughs> so, you know, you need to be, you need to be um, very much uh, adaptive to the, to the situation. So I think we, we managed to do that. And, and clearly we have a, a you know, a very sort of uh, good dialogue with the central bank as well as, you know, policy um, uh, makers. Um, and, and I think the challenge going forward is going to be when inflation sort of um, settles. Um, now the dominant product for us is really a linker. And clearly the linker will sort of like fall from grace in, in that regard. So we need to kind of like bring back some of the fixed rate products, but we provide liquidity for retail investors, which means that they can actually uh, trade retail bonds and we make market for, for retail bonds. So they can come to us to state treasury and they can go to banks and you know we have an option on the bank's uh, retail debt stock uh, that we exercise or not every, every month. Um, and I think, you know, the new product uh, will be a fixed rate because that is for a lower um, inflation, lower rate environment for a sort of hopefully normal shape yield curve environment. But you have to be very careful with that because, you know, that's quite a bit of implicit optionality you sell uh, to retail investors. If they invest into fixed rate products, but they can get out, you know, you are essentially... Um, writing a, um, an option on rates to um, go higher. And then this is where, you know, people uh, will put the bank, the bonds back to you. So therefore, what we did to overcome this challenge, besides obviously running a lot of numbers and trying to understand customer behavior based on big data and all the rest of it, is that we introduced nominal caps on certain products that, you know, people can buy. And we are trying to you know, sort of calibrate this market, not only with the pricing and the tenor of the instrument and the type of the instrument, 
you know, but also with the this kind of like sales caps. And now we are using it for the linkers and we are using it for the floater that is linked to tables, but we are going to use that for, you know, for the nominal bonds as well as, you know, the, the short-term one. And, you know, we hope that with these tools, we can fine tune and, and manage, but there's a lot of development into risk management as a result, because, you know, you need to be on top of this, especially until you are with your own currency. You know, rates moves and inflation moves certainly impact you, but also the effects implicitly, you know, um, um, especially if it depreciates a lot very quickly. That is what we've seen. Um, so, you know, we need to be kind of like looking at cross correlations and all the rest of it, despite the fact that this investor base is much, much more sticky than the institutionals. But, you know, in case of extreme moves, you know, retail investors also uh, sort of move. So we need to understand that pattern and understand that behavior and then sort of like get smarter uh, and, and more prepared. Thank you, Zoltan. And I'll give the final word to you, Stefan, about the uh, the same question about the development of this market, how you see that going and what products you're sort of looking at and focusing on going forward as well. Uh, for the time being, I mean, we uh, we have constant consultations uh, with with the banks for the Fidelis program, for the the program sold through the banks. Uh, when it comes to uh, potential uh, new features, we don't see that um, big demand on the floating on the floating instruments. So people are more comfortable with the fixed rates. I think it's also to some extent it's uh, it's the the fact that you know uh, it's about the maybe. Partly by financial education. Secondly, fixed uh, fixed rate is uh, better to be predicted. You know, in terms of uh, uh, gains, revenues, and uh, what we actually in our in our retail bonds we have, I would say, discouraged through the features of these instruments, uh, the early redemption. So, for we don't want to uh, have a headache uh, since we are accumulating exposure. We don't want to have a headache with the uh, with the early redemption. So for the program we have, uh, which is run through the state treasuries and the postal office, I would say uh, we are pretty harsh on that one. If someone wants to to prepay it, so they are losing basically the coupons uh, cash uh, in that bond. So it's we want to build it basically as a buy and hold. Uh, that's why for that specific program we have much more demand on the one-year maturity, but still there are there is some demand on the three uh, and even five, but three is pretty demanded. While uh, the other one, uh, which is sold through the banks, of course we sorted out that issue because we we uh, I mean if you wanna sell it, you know it's the the banks who do market making, so they offer prices, of course those prices should not be you know very attractive to the holders but they get prices through the market basically so at this moment in time i think uh, we do not have uh, uh, any new products uh, to be uh, you know in design but of course we we are looking uh, you know we are we are looking for any potential shift in terms of uh, uh, demand and you know uh, needs uh, for for the for this segment of, of investors and we we will adjust. Okay, thank you. Uh, we'll leave it there. Uh, my thanks to Zoltan, uh, Stefan, and Murray from the uh, debt management offices of Hungary 
uh, Remain in Ireland for joining me on this on this podcast. And uh, yeah, stay tuned for for more uh, for more content and podcasts from from Onfif. Thank you for listening to the Onfif podcast.